Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. My name's Alan. And it's been my privilege to be part of your, uh, your week of ministry here, ministry particularly to healthy families. I had the privilege of leaving, leading a, a church in Mount Evelyn. You don't know where Mount Evelyn is because you can't find it without a GPS. <clears throat> but it's in Melbourne and it's why I'm dressed in black. Um, we're relatively miserable people because we haven't seen the sun since February the 3rd. And I came up to make sure things were still working in the heavenlies and I want to thank you for that. It's a wonderful thing. Been here sharing on really important issues about family life and tonight I want to talk about perhaps the, the greatest of all, the most significant overriding thought that governs everything about the way we do family life. I brought a number of resources with me, and if they are helpful to you, I'll be uh, out the back later on, be glad to explain them to you. A lot of them deal with sexual issues, not all of them. Perhaps one of my favorite deals with finances, because I taught business subjects at school for seven years, and yet never ran a family budget myself. And when I went into full-time ministry as a youth pastor, my pastor sat me down and asked me how I was going to manage on the miserable amount of money they intended to pay me. And uh, out of that, he helped me construct my first budget. I used my accounting background to fill that out into a way of managing my income, and it totally changed my life. I love to help people do that. It's called Mastering Your Money. If I can help you, if you've never learned to manage your money well, to honor God, to honor your family, and to become a generous part of the world that God loves so much, uh, it'd be my privilege to help you. I want to talk to you this morning about the most significant conversation I ever had in university. You go to uni uh, in order to kind of hear important conversations, and the fact is lots of it isn't important at all. But I had a conversation in university with a young Baptist lad that changed my life. See, I grew up going to church. My mum was a Lutheran. My dad was a Methodist. Lutherans don't become Methodists, Methodists must become Lutherans. And as a result, I was raised in a Lutheran church, good Bible-believing Lutheran church. All I ever wanted to be all my life was a school teacher. My dad was a teacher, my aunties and uncles were teachers, and that's all I ever wanted to be was a school teacher. Um, But I enjoyed church, I loved church. I went along with my mum and dad every week. Uh, We never missed services on a Sunday, never missed what was happening at church life. And I have to say that by my teenage years, I was no question, I was a believer. In fact, I can't remember a time when I didn't believe the Bible was true and that Jesus died on the cross and all of that stuff. And I, I was moved by it and thought it was really important. I was, however, a kind of an interesting version of Christianity in that, um, As a teenager going to university, I had a car and I used to carry a can and a hose in the boot of my car and siphon petrol out of other people's tanks. 
but I felt it wasn't a bad thing because I used some of that petrol to get to choir practice on a Thursday night. I regularly stole my lunch from the university cafeteria. I'd figured out a way of picking up my chips and pies and Chico rolls and other assorted student health foods and then disappearing before I actually got to pay and then I would have a dollar to put in the offering uh, every Sunday. That was the interesting kind of discipleship model I was following. Had a, had a beautiful girlfriend. I met, met my girl, the girl I married, I met her in high school. And uh, she was training to be a teacher as well and um, both of us had scholarships to um, train as teachers and then have to serve for at least three years as a teacher with the education department. And both of us were, you know, pretty happy with the whole deal. I was young, I had money in my pocket from my studentship, I had a rifle, a set of golf clubs, a car, a pretty girlfriend, I was doing part-time university and full-time billions at golf. And that was a pretty happy life. Helen was an Anglican and I used to sometimes go to her church, sometimes she'd come to mine. But she had an interesting Anglican minister because he used to believe in healing and as a result, he'd bring people in to have testimonies and I was a Lutheran, I'd never heard of testimony. We didn't have testimonies as Lutherans. Um, apparently, no, God wasn't doing anything in our part of the world. <clears throat> but her minister had testimonies. And I used to get pretty disturbed at hearing these testimonies because they weren't anything like the life I knew. One time he had a young man in there and he was sharing how he'd come to Jesus and wrestled his way through his sins and yielded to Christ and now he just wanted to share Jesus everywhere he went. And I was sitting thinking, yuck. If that's what a real Christian is, maybe I'm not one. And that night her minister sidled up to me quietly and said to me, well, tell me, young man, he said, where are you with the Lord? Well, I said, oh, bumbled out some nonsense. Oh, I used to have my doubts, but now I'm right in there, you know. <laughs> I drove home from that church that night deeply upset because I realized I did not know how to answer the question. And I didn't even know how you'd ever find out. Well, how would you know where you stood with the Lord? I guess I used to see Christianity as something you'd never know if it was true till you died. And then if there was something on the other side, you'd say, oh, how wonderful. I appreciate that. That's good. That upset me enough, I started to wonder about what kind of a creature am I? Am I, am I a Christian or am I not? Well, I was poking all the worms back in out, that got out of that little box over the next few weeks. And then I went to church in my own Lutheran church one Sunday morning, uh, three weeks later, we had a visiting speaker. We didn't have many visiting speakers, but we had that one on that week. And we had a visiting Lutheran pastor and he preached an, an extraordinary message on hell. And about halfway through this message, I got a really bad feeling that I just might get to see this place someday. <clears throat> and even though he didn't have uh, eight by 10 glossy photographs to prove that hell existed, in the depth of my gut, I knew what he was saying was true. And he said something that day I have never forgotten. He said the worst two words that will ever be uttered in hell are the words, if only. If only I'd listened, if only I'd responded. If only I'd taken hold of the grace of God. And the horror of discovering that I had died and never connected with the grace of God was so distressing that by the end of that sermon, he'd scared the hell out of me. 
Now, Lutherans are interesting. If you preached a sermon like that in a Baptist church, you'd give a guy a chance to get saved. You know, that at some point the preacher would say, if there's a young man here today that has a can and a hose in the boot of his car and <laughs> feels the need. Oh yeah, that's me, that's me. But Lutherans don't do that. They scare the hell out of you and send you home for lunch. And that day I was so disturbed, I could hardly walk out of that church. But as I was leaving church that day, I said to myself, Alan, you've got to get this figured out. You've got to get it figured out. Where do you stand with the Lord? Well, I was working in a quarry during my university vacation at that time. And Monday morning, I got up and off I went to the quarry. And I'm sitting in a big Euclid truck all day long, driving it up and down the quarry all by myself. So I'm sitting alone in the cabin every day with nothing but these thoughts as my company. And I started to try to think, well, how would you know if you were right with God? How could you tell if, if you and Jesus were kind of good buddies? And I started to try to form a tick list. And the first thing I came up with was money, money. God's nearly always broke. They tell you that in church. And so if I was to give God some money, that's got to count for something. So I put that on my tick list. I don't mind, I'll, I'll increase my giving. Then I came up with the best idea of all, Sunday school. Brilliant thinking, Al, because it happens in church on Sunday. I was going to be there anyway. It doesn't disrupt the week in any way whatsoever. I'm training to be a teacher. Um, I could be normal all week. Hey, hey, boys, you know, play my cricket and footy and get right in there. But on Sunday, I'm teaching the little children about Jesus. And I got to ask you a question. If Sunday school teachers don't make it to heaven, who does? I mean, how much do you have to suffer to get into that place? <laughs> so I put Sunday school teaching on my list and I was trying to build a list of stuff that I felt would definitely rate as genuine Christian A1 New Butte behaviours, but would never mark me out as a fanatic. Because see, what I wanted to do was, my hope was that when I died, I would go straight to heaven. And as I walked through the doors of heaven, everyone would turn in shocked surprise and say, Tor, we never thought we'd see you here, mate. And I would say, oh, no, me and Jesus was like this, you know. I was a secret agent for God in Melbourne. <laughs> and my job was to make sure no one else knew I was flying under the radar. <clears throat> Well, I got this list together and I thought it was a pretty good list. So by Thursday afternoon of that week, I'm starting to feel okay about the kind of Christianity I'm building for myself. And um, I came home from the quarry, I showered up, I was going to go to a drive-in. There'll be many young people here who doesn't know, what did he just say? What's a drive-in? It's okay, it used to exist once upon a time, in olden days. I got right near the front door. And God spoke to me as clearly as I'm speaking to you. He did not speak in my ears, he spoke in my chest. And in here, he simply said, I want you to be a minister. Well, I gotta tell you, that was not on my list. <laughs> Immediately, I imagined myself as a Lutheran minister with the black stuff and the colors around my neck. And I burst into tears. I thought, oh no. 19 years old and I'm dead already. <clears throat> Horrifying. 
I'm trying to be a secret agent. I have to walk around looking like that. They'll figure something out pretty quick. This is horrifying. I jumped in my car. I drove around to see Helen. I took her out in the backyard. And I said, I think God wants me to be a minister. She cried. She didn't want to marry a minister. <laughs> I have a reverse testimony. You've heard those testimonies? I was low and broken and down. And Jesus came and lifted me up. Well, I was doing great. <laughs> I was having fun, had a pretty girlfriend, life was amazing, and Jesus came along and wrecked the entire thing. <laughs> now you think, I'm, you think that I'm telling that to be funny. The reality is I was shocked. Not only was I shocked, I nearly had a nervous breakdown because this was like totally turning my life upside down. And over the next months, I would go through waves of horror of realizing that my plans for life had been dashed on the rocks by the unkindness of God. And here I was at university trying to study in my final year for an educational history thought, history, educational thought thing. In, and I'm in the library trying to study and I'm so distressed I can't think straight. And I, and I realized I've got to find peace somehow. How do I find enough peace to be able to study? And I thought, I'll do something religious. God loves that stuff. So I thought, I'll go to the religious center. Now I need you to know, I never went to the religious center. I used to go to the billiard room. But on that day, I was so distressed, I decided to go to the religious center because I saw on the daily sheet that there was a Lutheran service on at midday. And I thought, well, I'll go and do a religious thing and maybe God will leave me alone so I can prepare for this exam. I went over the religious center and I sat down. The service was a lot of nonsense. And I don't remember one thing about it. It didn't make an ounce of sense to me. And at the end of it, the, the Lutheran dude packed his stuff up and began to leave and everyone got up and left. But sitting right next to me, there was a young guy who didn't get up and leave. He just pulled his lunch out of his bag and started to unpack his lunch. And out of that, I didn't leave either because I was still deeply distressed. Give you a clue about sharing your faith. Sometimes people are just not sure, how do I ever get round to sharing my faith? Well, don't get up and leave too soon. Because there's a wonderful thing about people who have got distress in their heart. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and this dude didn't leave. He just unpacks his lunch and starts eating his lunch and a little, starts a little conversation with you. How you doing? What you doing? And of course, I was so distressed, I just start pouring my heart out. Oh, I, can't, I can hardly think straight. God wants me to be a minister. He said, oh, that's wonderful. I said, no, it's terrifying. <laughs> and out of that, a young Baptist man, young Baptist kid, 19-year-old, um, by the name of Graham Willard Turton, who used to go to Mitcham Baptist Church, sat there and we had a conversation that totally changed my life. Well, are you distressed? What are you distressed about? God comes to you and invites you onto his team? What? That's amazing. No, it's terrible. He said, well, tell me, Al, are you a believer? Oh, yeah, you bet. I believe it all. Well, let me, well, let me ask you, what is it that you actually believe? Well, I believe it all. You ask a Lutheran, I've got stuff I can tell you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. 
Third day he rose again from the dead, he sent into heaven, from, sits at the right hand of God, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. <laughs> he said, man, that's a lot of believing you got going there, man. <laughs> yeah, I believe all that. He said, well, that's amazing. He said, um, might be just one word in all of that believing that you might have skipped over. Um, how about if we try a simpler confession, Al? Because if we went right back to the beginning of Christianity, uh, it was a lot simpler than all the, what you just said then. You see, back then, all you had to know if you were going to be a follower of Jesus, all you really had to know was this, um, four words. Jesus Christ is Lord. See, that, that's a lot of believing. Sometimes you get kind of confused with all of that. You, you, you think if you get all that in your head, there's got to be something be going on between you and God. But he said, it's a lot simpler than that. You see, I think you might have missed it right up the front there. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Al, do you, do you know what the word Lord means? Well, I guess it's like... A title, you know, I'm Mr. Alan Meyer and he's Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you've got a nice little title going in there. No, no, see, that's, that's part of the problem. It, that, that's not really how Lord works. See, Lord actually means something. When it comes to the issue of Lordship, we're talking about someone who's the master, someone who's the owner, somebody who is the one with supreme power and authority. Um, the one who rules, the supreme being. Someone who has dominion, authority. Let me bring it down to one word, Al. He's the boss. Have you ever really appreciated that as your confession? Uh, well, I guess, does milking petrol fit under that? No, no, it doesn't, doesn't actually fit under there, Al. Do you, do you not realise that what you're talking about is the conflict of the ages. Who rules? Who reigns? Who is the king above all other kings? Whose word above every other word takes priority? See, it's the struggle of the ages. Listen to Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. There is a spirit in this world that sees a relationship with God as a chaining and shackling experience. Let's get rid of the chains of all this lordship stuff. Well, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them and rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will give the nations to you as your inheritance. It's the battle of the ages, Al. You see, what you're struggling with is who rules. 
I understand it. It's the, it's the battle that goes on in every heart. Who rules? You see, it's the, it's the battle that began all this strife in the first place. When the Father of life created the heavens and the earth, he created the most magnificent garden that you could ever imagine and said, I give you all this, but there is one test of my sovereignty in this garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because here's the problem that you as a human being, Al, will have with uh, good and evil all the days of your life. You don't see far enough down the track to be able to decide for yourself what, good is, what is good and what is evil. Because something you think is evil, if you could only see far enough, you'd see that down that pathway is the most magnificent end that you could imagine. And something that you think is good today, if you could only see far enough down the track, you'd see what a destructive influence that would be. Al, you've got to leave the issue of good and evil up to me as the king. Trust me. Just trust me. See, the only way you can walk with Jesus, trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy with Jesus than to trust and obey. I'm just asking you, thank you very much. I'm just asking you to trust me because you, what you don't understand that one of the biggest problems facing your humanity, Al, is the law of unexpected consequences. What you thought would be wonderful turns out to be disastrous. What you thought was horrifying turns out to be the greatest good you could imagine. Trust me. That's exactly where I was in my life. The creator of the heavens and the earth had come to me and invited me onto his team. I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever heard in my life. And there in the garden, God said, there's a single test just a single test. The entire garden is yours. Enjoy it. Delight yourself in it. But leave the issue of good and evil to me. The day you start messing with good and evil, you will damage yourself in ways you cannot imagine. Trust me. And into that garden came a slimy creep, dragging the chains of our future bondage, and that was his first attack. Hath God said... You uh, shall not eat of any of these trees. No, that's not what God said, you miserable coot. He said we could have it all, but honour him as king. Ah, oh, I hate to tell you this, but uh, you see, that, uh, that's the secret to it all. You need to make decisions on your own. You need to assert yourself. Step up and be the leader of your own life. Who needs him to be Lord? Break off his shackles, cast off his chains. And in that moment, a bitterness unimaginable was leashed into the human experience. My dear Baptist young friend began to remind me of something. He said, oh, you need to know this, that Jesus Christ was never sent into the world to be preached primarily as your savior he was preached primarily as your king. And that's the message of the gospel. Christ rules. He said, listen, maybe you've missed these passages in the Bible. Luke 2.11. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. Acts 2.36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain 
that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Peter, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. 1 Corinthians, yet for us there is but one God the Father from whom are all things and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom all things and exist through him. Second Corinthians, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants. Revelation verse chapter 17, and these will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. He said, I've got to remind you something. The gospel is a deathiki. A deathiki is a covenant. There's two kinds of covenant, a sunthiki. A sunthiki is the kind of covenant you have if you sell a motorbike. You can get together and you can negotiate the price because it's an agreement between equals. We get to negotiate. But when you come to the gospel, you are dealing with a deathiki. It comes down from a superior, from a king to his children. And you can either accept it or you can reject it, but you can't change it. Al, you're trying to change the terms of the covenant that God has made with men and women. He said, let me sum it up for you this way. He said, I think the problem you have, the struggle you have, is you're trying to marry a dishwasher. Better run that one by me again. It went straight over the head the first time. Al, you're trying to marry a dishwasher. Jesus Christ will wash away your sins, but you can't marry a dishwasher. Imagine if you came to marry your wife, and as you stepped up to meet this glorious creature, and you begin to recite your vows, you begin to say, I, Alan, take you, Helen, to be my lawful wedded dishwasher. <laughs> She'd say, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, I receive you as my lawful wedded dishwasher. What? Oh, sorry, yes, and as my lawfully wedded cook and clothes washer and maybe occasional really sexy nice companion. No Al, that's not how it works. You cannot step up here and marry a dishwasher. What you can do is you can marry a wife and there's just a chance that occasionally a dish may get washed. <coughs> but you can't marry a dishwasher. You are trying to marry Jesus Christ as your personal dishwasher. But you've got to understand, heaven never sent him down to be your personal dishwasher. Christ was sent to be proclaimed as the Lord and the King of the heavens and the earth. And if you will embrace him as your Lord, he will wash your feet and your head 
and every other part of your life because he is a servant king that you can't marry a dishwasher. Let me, now, let me clarify it for you. You are trying to have Jesus as your savior, but you don't want to have him as your Lord. And I'm gonna save you a world of problems. You can't pull that off. And in a moment of time, I realized what I was trying to do. I realized I was trying to have something I couldn't have. I was trying to have salvation on my terms with me holding all the cards and making all the big decisions and thanking God for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, you got a problem with that, Al. Christ did not come to be married as a personal dishwasher. He came to be embraced as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you will embrace him in that manner, he will wash you and clean you and carry you from life into eternity. That is the privilege of salvation. I've got to ask you a question. Sometimes I wonder if that's what people are still trying to do, because I was. Big problem with that, of course, is that Jesus said that's a very dangerous place to be. The Bible says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Listen to it in the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons in your name before many miracles? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Tried to marry me as a dishwasher. It doesn't work. In Luke 6, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say? That conversation in that university changed my life. That day I left realizing what I was doing. And from that moment, I said to Jesus Christ, I give in, I embrace you as the Lord of my life. Jesus told one, one more parable, listen to this one. Jesus said to his critics, tell me what you think of this parable. There was once a man who said to his two sons, um, son, go and work in my vineyard. And the boy replied, I'd rather not. But later on, he repented and he did. He went to the other son. He said, son, go work in my vineyard. He said, of course I shall. I shall immediately go, but never went. He said, which of those two boys did the will of the father? They said to him, the first one. Jesus said, you're right, for there are many sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes. Sin will not keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. It's the unwillingness to embrace the kingship of Jesus that will keep you out of heaven. There isn't a sin or a failure that will keep anyone out of heaven. It's the unwillingness to marry a king that will keep you from heaven. And once you have embraced him as king, what's been, what's been your problem in life? What's been the besetting sin that has undone you, that is creating distress? He'll team up with you and he'll kick that thing out of your life. Let me ask you this question. If Jesus Christ really was allowed to be the king of your life, if you really allowed him to be the king and the Lord of all your life, um, would you have to do different things with your money? Would you have to do different things with other people's money? Would you have to treat other people's money differently? If Jesus Christ was Lord, would your sex life need to come under the microscope because in marrying him as king, he'd say to you, I want to address that issue. If Jesus Christ was really Lord, would you find yourself loving better in your, in your home, your marriage, 
your wife, your husband, your mother, your father? Would you find you, your love life would, would need to expand if Jesus was king? If you, if you honoured the lordship of Jesus, would you go to work tomorrow morning and do a different day's job? If Christ was Lord, would you handle your worst enemy differently? Would you forgive more quickly if Christ really was Lord? If Jesus Christ was Lord, would you stop driving and texting at the same time? If Jesus Christ was Lord, would you handle the truth differently? Would you clean up your room when your mother asks you? Would you resolve conflict? Would you pray more potently? Would you serve better? Let me take one moment as we finish and uh, introduce you to a, an old song. When I lead worship, it's a little bit like a, a Eagles concert. All you get is old ones. <clears throat> an old chorus that uh, is such a rich word. For he is Lord. and leased it out to come to the little family. Came at the end of the month to collect the rent. Knocked on the door. Man comes out. He says, oh, are you the owner? He says, yes. He said, I am the owner. He said, wonderful. He said, I've got something for you. For you're the owner. You are the owner. You have bought this apartment. You are the owner. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that you are the owner. Shut the door and went back inside. Owner said, that's amazing. He said, I've never seen that before. Maybe he intends to pay two months rent next month. Comes back at the end of the next month, knocks on the door. Man opens the door and says, sweetheart, it's the owner. Bring out the kids. Out they come, form a little four-part harmony. You are the owner. You are the owner. You have bought this apartment. You are the owner. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that you are the owner. Shut the door, went back inside. He said, that is absolutely amazing. 
Maybe they're going to pay me three months' rent at the end of uh, the next month. Back he comes, knocks on the door, out comes the dude, and from everywhere comes the neighbourhood. He has organised the entire community into a 64-part orchestra with choir. And they begin to sing, you are the owner, you are the owner. There will come a point when he'll say, shut up and show me the money. There will come a moment in your life where the Spirit of God will want to say to you, is Jesus Christ really your Lord? Then show me the fruit of it. He wants more than a song from your lips. He wants a life of discipleship. He deserves it. And as you yield it to Him, you will discover there is a power in the kingdom of heaven that maybe you have never touched before. Father, as we bow our heads this morning, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that out of heaven came the eternal Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, made in the likeness of sinful flesh, but without sin. We thank you that he embraced our sin and carried it to Calvary and fulfilled the, the cry and the sufferings of the law for the wages of sin is death and released us to embrace him as our Saviour King. Forgive us for withholding from you what you deserve our entire lives. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee, and show Yourself wonderful in this city. I don't know why you came to church this morning, but whatever it brought you to church, there'll be at least some of you who will understand my story and you'll identify with it. It may be, for example, that you have been a true believer but you have allowed your life to slip back from the claims of His Lordship. If that's you in just a minute, I want you to say to Him, I return my life to you. I don't know what brought you to church today. You may have come today and today's an entirely new experience. You never know what brings people. But as I've shared my story, it resonated with you because you fear God. You're afraid of Him. I will never forget the fear I felt when God called me because I thought He was trying to destroy me. As I now look back on the gracious offer He made to me, I, I, I'm just so grateful. I was given the privilege of engaging with the call to follow Christ and all that it has meant in the unfolding of my life. And today you need to lean into that. And if your heart is soft, now's the time to say yes. Because hearts get cold and they get hard. But in the moments of the softness of heart, yield your life to Him. Is that you today? If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand because I want to pray for you right where you are. If that's you, that's the way, that's the way, that's the way. Just say, yes, Lord, here I am. You know my life. I want to trust you as I've never done before. Just lift your hand. That's the way. Now take your right hand, stick it right here. I'm going to teach you how to pray. Say this simple prayer. 
Heavenly Father, let's all say it together. Heavenly Father, I need help. I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Jesus, come into this life and I will honour you and follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Thank you for coming. Give me a chance to share my story with you today. I trust it will strengthen and encourage you. May God bless you. He loves the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.